Well, good evening and welcome to our live stream service this evening. I'm so thankful that you are tuning in tonight on the evening of Grandparents Day. We had a great service this morning honoring all of our grandparents that were in attendance. And this evening, I would like for us to just consider some things about Grandparents Day, especially the grandparents that we have in our church National Grandparents Day falls each year on the first Sunday following Labor Day. It was not a holiday that was invented, like some holidays are, to sell more cards or to sell more flowers. But rather, it was initiated more at a, a grassroots level by a West Virginian, and her name was Marion McQuaid. She herself had 15 children 43 grandchildren, 10 great-grandchildren, and one great-great-grandchild. Mrs. McQuaid wanted Grandparents' Day, and in her mind, she saw it as a family day. She envisioned families having small get-togethers, or maybe even some families having reunions on Grandparents' Day. And they wanted to participate in community events and spread the word that grandparents play a very important role in the family's life. She also wanted a chance to publicly affirm the identity and the value that grandparents bring to the family and the vital roles that they play. Mrs. McQuaid started her campaign for a Day, just one day to honor grandparents starting in 1970. She worked with civic leaders, business leaders, church leaders, politicians, and then the first Grandparents Day launched in 1973 in the state of West Virginia. After many years and much pursuit on her end, she finally achieved her goal on a national scale, and in 1979, President Jimmy Carter proclaimed that the first Sunday following Labor Day each year would be National Grandparents Day. The month of September was chosen to signify the autumn years of life. And Jimmy Carter's proclamation in part reads this. Grandparents are our continuing tie to the near past to the events and beliefs and experiences that so strongly affect our lives and the world around us. Whether they are our own or surrogate grandparents who fill some of the gaps in our mobile society, our senior generation also provides our society a link to our national heritage and to our traditions. It then goes on to say this, we all know grandparents whose values transcend passing fads and pressures and who possesses the wisdom of distilled pain and joy because they are usually free to love and guide and befriend the young without having to take daily responsibilities for them. They can often reach out past pride and fear of failure and close the space between generations. There are two purposes for National Grandparents Day that I take from this proclamation from President Carter, and that is, number one, we should honor the grandparents in our lives. 
and also those who play the grandparent role in our lives. And number two, the reason for the day is to help children become aware and to teach them to have the awareness of the strength, the information, and the guidance that older people can offer. In just a moment, we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 71. And if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, you can start turning there. There are more in the United States, there are now more grandparents than ever before. No other generation has seen the amount of grandparents than we have today in America. And that number is estimated to be around 70 million. That's a 24% increase since 2001, just 22 over the last 22 years. Of those that are aged 65 and older, 83% of them are grandparents. Of all of the adults from 30 years of age on up, so that segment, 30 years on up, it is estimated that one in three of them are grandparents. More grandparents today are living with a grandchild, and 37% of grandparents also serve as their grandchild's primary caregiver. So we have more grandparents living in America than ever before, and we also have more grandparents as the primary caregiver than ever before. We've never seen a larger seasoned and experienced group to help the younger generation. And this evening, I would like for us to just accept the challenge for all of us, but especially those of us who have a little more life experience. And I want to look at Psalm 71. We don't know the author of this psalm, so I'll refer to him as the psalmist. And when we read the verses in Psalm 71, we understand that the author is up in years, and he is looking back, and there is some valuable wisdom that we could gather from the words that he penned. I want to jump right into the middle of the chapter, Psalm 71, verse 17. We'll look at some other verses, but I want to start with verses 17 and verses 18. Verse 17 reads, O God, thou hast taught me from my, notice number one, my youth, and hitherto... Meaning, after that, have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation, and thy power to everyone that is to come. Psalm 71 is the author's pictured looking back on a long life. And he now prays at this late stage in life that God would not withdraw his protective care from him. He wants no one to have cause to accuse him or to accuse God of unfaithfulness. Let's go to verse 9 and we'll read verses 9 through 12. And in these verses he says, Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. For mine enemies speak against me, and they lay wait for my soul, take counsel together, saying, God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste for my help. He says, from his youth, 
He has proclaimed the saving great acts of God, and he prays, God, please continue those acts. There is a world that is watching. They're observing. They're waiting for me to trip. They're waiting for your faithfulness to fall short, and they want to pounce on that. But God, I know you. You are faithful. Please do not forsake me. And that he will also continue to proclaim the message of divine salvation until life's final end. Verse 14 and 15. But I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day. For I know not the numbers thereof. He wants to, all of the days of his life, to proclaim the wondrous works of God. And the psalmist shows a tremendous confidence here. He is confident that God's going to give him the extra years to do that. He's confident God's going to give him the strength that's needed to fulfill that. Everything that needs to happen for him to complete his life's work. In verse 17, The psalmist says, thou taught me from my youth. He's saying, when I was young, I was teachable. I soaked in the teaching from your words. And in the verse, it goes, and hitherto have I declared. He said, once I got past my youth and I was in the middle years of my life, I implemented the teachings that I learned as a child. And then he goes, in the older years. He says, in my older years, I'm going to take what I learned as a youth and what I implemented in my middle years and the experience that I gained, and I'm going to pass those on, and I'm going to remind others of what God has done in my life and what God can do in their lives also. The psalmist helps us see our continued value in the kingdom. Sometimes we look at life, and life has our peak years and has our prime years But I like the psalmist approach here. He says, we have a continued value in the work of God. If we're still here on earth, it means God is not done with us. Spurgeon said, many have misjudged their capacity for God. And I think that is so true even in my own life where I fall short in seeing just how much capacity I have and how much God wants to use me. Robert Browning, the poet, put it this way. He said, the best is yet to come. But he also said this of the youth, they see but half. He's saying the youth don't see the full capacity that they have for God and the potential that they have in life. But the younger generation needs to see the fullness needs to see the stability, needs to see the sympathy that can be found in godly older people. Those with more life experience need to demonstrate discernment and insight and perception and wisdom. However, the reality is sometimes older generations often, the older generation is often tired. And the natural tendency is to resign and to relax and to rest. Each day, my wife and I pray for energy for the day. And the truth is that dispensing energy is tiring. I tell people, I have the same energy I've always had. It just doesn't last as long. And maybe you could identify with that. 
We have to ask God, give me the energy to fulfill my purpose for my life for this day. And this godly old psalmist wanted to keep his heart young. In verse 20, he says, Thou which has showed me great and sore troubles shalt quicken me. That word quicken means alive. It means to energize. And he's saying, God, give me the energy that I need to show the young people what they need and demonstrate your faithfulness. He also sees that there's still work for him to do. And though his body is aged, he has a youthful spirit. And he wanted to tell the next generation what the Lord can do for them too. A commentator said this, Although the psalmist has been taught the redemptive history of Israel, we must guard against thinking that he is just a good theological historian. The underlying reason for his witness to the wondrous works is the personal experience of his lifetime. There is a difference between being an orator of what God has done throughout history and demonstrating with words what God has done in your own life. With age, he didn't want his energy or his passion for God's word to diminish in the slightest of ways. He didn't want something so precious in his life to become familiar. And we must not treat scripture. We must not treat our task on earth as just pieces of information of our past. All of the knowledge that we have attained through life from our youth and through our middle years just shouldn't be pieces and things that we have learned. Passion is easily replaced with descriptions of passion. And we can recount what God has done in the past but how much more important is it when we recount what God has done in our life in the past? If we are just speaking out of descriptions of passion instead of living a life of passion, that would be no different than reading a cookbook to a man who is starving. We could tell him the ingredients of a good meal. And we could tell him how to mix those ingredients and to what temperature they should be baked at. But that does that man no good at all. And I wonder how many times we come to our place of service. And instead of demonstrating passion, instead of demonstrating energy and involvement, we instead say, I've done that before. Oh, I have been there and I could tell you all about it. A younger generation doesn't need us to tell them what God can do as much as they need to be shown of what God is doing today. We must maintain an enthusiasm of being called to the place of service where God currently has us. When we look to the world and we look to society and our culture, we're not going to see that. We're going to see passivity, a culture that is passive. Life has become more about making it instead of making a difference. The goal is to make it to years of comfort. It's to make it to times of fewer responsibilities. And apathy has a way of increasing with age and coming in. And age causes passion to ebb out of our lives. And when passion is ebbed out, it makes room for apathy. An older English preacher in Liverpool, England, said this, If you only have one talent left, don't bury it in the ground. 
Try to live as to be missed. There is far more to be done in 12 hours than most people have ever done on any day of their life. It may be true that wise, young believers are very rare. But it's no less true that zealous, older believers are very rare also. Never allow yourself to believe you can do too much. That's a powerful statement. And then he even goes on. For every one man that does too much, I will show you a thousand that do not do enough. Lay to heart the words of the nobleman who said, when told that he ought to rest a little, what should we rest for? Don't we have all eternity to rest? And the great pullout from that paragraph is never allow yourself to believe you can do too much. The psalmist in our passage has a desire to show this generation the power of God. It wasn't enough that he learned everything he could learn in his youth. It wasn't enough that in the middle years he implemented and carried out what he learned. He's saying at this stage of life, this great stage, help me to do much. Our challenge is to model genuine Christianity in our culture. Our culture is both disingenuous and post-truth. But my question is, if we don't model genuine faith, where will this generation see it? The problem is, they won't see it. The the statistics about the number of young people raised by one or more parents Walking away from their faith is way too high. Some surveys show that the dropout rate to be as high as 80% of young people between the ages of 17 and 19 leaving Christianity. That might be on the little high side, but if it's even close, that is troubling. And when they leave, most are leaving for a secular view of the world. A world that believes perhaps God doesn't exist at all or that God's, a God who is, exists is not even necessary for their life. And it is we who have life experience. We must demonstrate until the Lord calls us home that God is faithful, that we have passion for him. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 says this, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. So take heed, watch your soul, why? Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. And lest thou depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. So all of the things that you've t- took, taken heed to and all of the way that you've kept your soul diligently and all of the things that you have learned, yes, teach them to your sons, but that's not enough. Teach them to thy sons' sons as well. And that challenge just isn't for your immediate family. It goes for the generation two down from where you are. It could be the kids that are in church, the younger adults that are in church, in your neighborhood, in your community, those you have influence with. Grandparents are an important part of how families protect children, and it begins by guarding ourselves. 
lest you forget the things your eye have seen. And as we're careful to watch over our own lives, we can preserve the lives of those who we love most. Now I'm going to end with this sentence. Youth needs the experience of age. The youth needs it. But also, the aged needs the vitality of the youth. We need the aged. We need the experience they they have. But they need us as well. We need them as well. We need their energy. We need their desire to do something great for God. And we have a church that has both sides, both spectrums. We have the age. We have the young. We need to work together for the purpose of spreading the gospel. Happy Grandparents Day. I trust you know that you are, you are honored today. You are loved. You are valued. You are looked up to. Let's live a life of passion for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Grandparents Day. I thank you for my grandparents, and though they're with you now, I thank you for the legacy that they passed on and the experiences that I remember of just watching them in church and their love for you. I pray that all of us, Lord, as we age in years and as we gain experience, we would be models of Christians that are faithful for you, Lord. And may we be passionate. I pray that you'd give us the energy that we need for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.